0: Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the map with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas.
1: Welcome to episode 43. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today we have Chuck Ryland. Chuck is a Brown Belt in Jiu-Jitsu, a high-performance coach with law enforcement and finance background. When I ask him about one high-performance habit that he practices daily, his answer inspired the title of the podcast, Are You a High Performer? For those who don't know, I'm a certified high-performance coach under the High Performance Institute from Brandon Bouchard. In the final thoughts, I'm going to share with you three questions from a specific session of the 12-week program of high-performance coaching for you to reflect and hopefully act on the information. Stay tuned right after Live Jiu-Jitsu's message. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the non-profit organization Live Jiu-Jitsu. Live Jiu-Jitsu supports social projects in Brazil and in the United States who offer free Jiu-Jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to buy new mats, uniforms, tournament registrations, and the monthly expenses of these projects. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coach donates all the profit of all online courses and merchandise to Live Jiu-Jitsu. For more information, please visit www.livejiujitsu.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Chuck Ryland. Chuck is a brown belt in Jiu-Jitsu and has led an extraordinary life that has seen him excel as an author, law enforcement, finance, as well as being a high-performance coach. Two of the books that Chuck has authored that feature BJJ are Motivation, Stories on Life and Success from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Black Belts, and Success, The Path to Personal Fulfillment Through Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Fighters. Chuck, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Thanks.
1: Yeah, this is a nice surprise too because I didn't know about your work and John Buckley my friend who helps me set in doing all the intros and stuff, he goes around and look for some potential guests and I always mention to you that I, I believe he saw you on, I think Mohammed's post that he was featuring in, in your book, right? And that's how we found out about it.
2: Cool, man. I'm glad. I'm glad, you get, we're glad we can connect.
1: Awesome. How did BJJ show up in your life?
2: Well, I I started martial arts as a kid, as a teenager because I had kind of a rough life and was looking for kind of a way to um, find mentors, find myself, build self-confidence and that kind of stuff. And so I I started in traditional martial arts and ended up in Taekwondo and did that for many years. And then that was kind of my main thing. I was very competitive in Taekwondo and it was kind of my world outside of work. And then after I was a cop. I was getting into fights as a cop and you don't really get to kick people too much. So it's not the ideal thing to kick somebody in the head when you're trying mm-hmm. to arrest them. And so um, I got in this fight with this guy that was wanted for murder and then after my friend, or my co-worker, he's like, man, you got to check out this jujitsu thing. And that was in the 90s. I had no idea what it was. And he kind of told me about it. I thought it was probably fake or something until he gave me those early UFC videos. And then I saw those first UFC videos. And I was like, I, I have to figure this thing out. And so I started driving down to Torrance, which was three hours one way. And I'd go down there once a week to start learning jiu-jitsu at the original Torrance Academy uh, with uh, Horian and Hoyce, and, that, and that's how it started from there. That's
1: wonderful. And it's, it's interesting how so many police officers out there do not know how to defend themselves. It's scary
2: yeah mm-hmm. most most do not i i talk about this often because i teach jiu-jitsu at the police academy so i i know what they come in with and what they leave with and they are not prepared you know unless you go out and trade on your own they're not ready to do the job in the best way that you could
1: how long in the police academy you guys have to work on the self-defense
2: i think the class is it's less than 80 hours i think 70 something hours but that's that's not very much, but it's also smaller than it seems because it also includes um, handcuffing and searching and some striking and stuff. So there's the actual ground stuff is very minim- minimal.
1: Hmm. Now, how do you feel BJJ relate to life?
2: Well, for me, jujitsu provided me confidence as a man. And so when you become confident you can walk into a room and you're not intimidated by other men and because most people don't train so that confidence carries over into the way you carry yourself and it's not arrogance it's the opposite of arrogance you're able to be calm and cool under pressure which helps in a lot of different things particularly as a police officer but in all of life but but I think more specifically what it did was it it taught me that there really isn't any failure in life unless you quit and meaning I can get submitted over and over in jiu-jitsu, but as long as I come back the next day, I'm going to keep improving. And a lot of life is like that. Uh, it's easy to have failures, which could be the equivalent of a tap in jiu-jitsu. But as long as I just take those failures, learn from them, and keep moving forward, I, I keep getting closer to the end goal. Um, and that, that's, to me, the parallel between jiu-jitsu and life.
1: So how many books did you write?
2: I've written six different books, the two on jujitsu, two are on business, and then one of them is on police shootings.
1: Okay, and what inspired you? When did you have that, that spark to start writing? How old were you?
2: Oh, man, the first book was 2011 or so. I'm 43 now, so 10-plus years ago. So that first book, what it was was – I was looking to do a career change from police work, and I wanted to become a financial advisor, and so I went and got all the credentials and licensing and training to become a financial advisor. and I started meeting people one-on-one, and um, at the same time, I started studying marketing like crazy, really obsessing about learning about marketing, and realized the best way to promote yourself as a professional is with a book. It's one of the best ways to get yourself out there. And so I started learning about writing books and I wrote my first book and I I enjoyed that process. I enjoyed some of the benefits of it and I kept doing that as kind of a side thing. You know, it's it's one of many things that I do is writing and authoring books.
1: Yeah. And right now, do you focus more on coaching?
2: My time is divided in thirds. So coaching is about a third of my time. I'm still doing some stuff at the police academy and expert witness work. And then another third of the time I'm writing. I found for me any one thing, if I devoted all my time to coaching, I'd get burned out. I wouldn't be as good of a coach as I could be. So I have to limit, you know, my energy so I can do a good job during each of the, if I had to write all day, I'd hate writing too. So I have to kind (laughs) of balance it out.
1: I believe. Now, how was leaving the police academy, not police academy, but the police apartment, and then going into this new area, is that a, is that a, it was a tough, tough transition, as far as understanding. Like, okay, I have the securities going on here. Is it was something that you're building when you when you start going to the finance uh, finance world? Would you say
2: it's it's it was kind of two different things happened to me, and and it, there was different experiences that I had. The first was my original plan was to go to school part time, build this thing on the side, and maybe have a second career part time, and then later down the road do this thing when I retire. Um so I took a year away from police work and I went back to get a masters degree in business and then I was also doing the credentials for the financial planning program and then I opened my business and returned back to work which was my original plan and kind of built this thing slow which is really what I would encourage a lot of people that want to make a transition to do because then you're not from a place of desperation you really have a place of power as a business owner you can pick and choose your customers but a few years into that I got into a fight and I got injured and was forced to retire. So, and I wasn't prepared financially to do that. So that put me in kind of an uncomfortable position for quite a while. It was very difficult, but um, I got through it. And now I'm in a I'm in a great place. I'm happy where I'm at. But the transition would have been a lot smoother had I not had it not been forced upon me at that time.
1: And how was your mindset back then when this happened, or the transition help happened? How did you overcome that? Some, some of the doubts and insecurities that come along normal. So yeah, how did you well,
2: that? so I'm giving you a real short version, of a long story. So at the same time, I've always been in different businesses. I've always had side businesses all, my whole life. And uh, at the same time of all that, i had opened another business with my ex-wife and we opened a, a gym, a fitness gym. And um, that was a huge, that was kind of my biggest thing that I had done at, up to that point. And so at the same time that all of this happened, I lost my job and, and I'm injured. And at the same time, that business was floundering too, partly because I was injured, but also because of many mistakes that we had made. So that in business ended up going bankrupt. And, um, I had a lot of internal turmoil where I'm like, I've never failed at anything in my life. Um, not not I mean I failed but not really on a big scale like that and so that business failed at the same time I lost my police job so I was really in a down kind of depressed state at that point in my life Um, so it wasn't a good period but I eventually figured out that I had to keep moving forward and rebuild my life rebuild this kind of business that I was my own business and so um, it was a lot of Working through tough times and forcing myself to just keep moving forward when really I didn't feel like it at the time emotionally
1: Did you feel that that was your worst entrepreneurial experience?
2: That failure of that business definitely was because it was the biggest thing and it was the most public thing that I had done and one of the major mistakes we made was we used a lot of leverage so we went into a lot of debt We ended up owing over a million dollars to a bank so yeah, that was one of the biggest uh, hardships as a business owner. It was to to fail in that business. Um, so so we were struggling as as and personally in our finances because of that business. At the same time, I was a, a financial advisor, so that put me in a very difficult position, very uncomfortable position, where I had to keep working um, through those tough times and keep my head up and keep going, even though I had had a lot of hardship at the same time.
1: And what was the lesson? That's the most important thing, not just the entrepreneur, but what did you learn from that? Be Okay, let's, uh, if it not do the same mistake, at least minimize the chance of making the same mistake.
2: Yeah, so I, I learned more from that than anything I've done successfully. So the the less, uh, there's more than one, but some business specific business lessons were number one, I won't. I won't go into a tremendous amount of debt in order to open a business again. I would, and that doesn't mean it's wrong for other people, but I'm not comfortable with that kind of um, risk. So I would rather grow small, grow with cash, um, because it allows you to make different kinds of decisions. The second thing for me as an individual, I learned a lot of things. That number one, I don't want employees. I had 35 employees, and I realized that I'm not that kind of person. And um, a third thing I learned was to to focus on what I'm good at rather than what I think the customers want. Um, And then you end up attracting the right kind of customers that way. So I learned those three lessons. And um, now I'm very specific in the different endeavors that I get into. And I'm able to to be a better business owner. I'm able to provide a better service to my customers because I have more clarity about what I want to do and what I'm good at.
1: Yeah. And this is for people who... All the entrepreneurs who are listening out there, I know maybe you're going through a struggle right now. I don't know. Maybe with your business, maybe it's not what you want to hear right now, but in a few years from now, you're going to look back and say that, man, that struggle was a blessing. Because if you keep taking, if you keep making the same mistakes over and over, at one point it's going to blow up again, blow up again, and you're learning your lesson, you're going to look back and be like, man, my business is where it's at today. Because I had to face that in, in the past. And that's basically with you, where you're at right now is because of that, the lessons that you got from that experience. And this is just a way to put to all the listeners, if you're going through a difficult situation right now, just look as an opportunity for growth. For sure, if you really focus and analyze everything that is happening, try to learn and grow from it, it will pay off. It will.
2: Yeah, even in the moment, it definitely doesn't feel that way. But I agree with you. You look (laughs) back a couple of years and you go, man, uh, it was painful, but I learned some incredible lessons that are making me a better person today. Absolutely.
1: So what kind of content would you like to share with the listeners who are starting that entrepreneurship journey or even for those who maybe already been an entrepreneur and then they want to take their business to another level, but mainly for people who are starting what would you tell them?
2: I, For me, one of the greatest lessons I've learned through trial and error, through many, many years of experience with this stuff is that I think most people start a business out of a passion and that's a good thing. So they end up focusing on things that aren't as important as others. And here's what I mean. The most valuable skill I think you can learn as a business owner is the ability to attract clients, so learning marketing and sales. And so if I were to start, start all over when as a young person. If I had an idea, I would test that idea out with something that would generate a list of prospects. So an easy way to do that nowadays is online. So if I have an idea of, of selling a book, for example, rather than going through all the effort of writing the book, I'd rather put up the title online and attach it to an opt-in page where somebody can put their email in So that they put in their email and they download, say, one page or some information with the same title as the book. So I can test out the interest of the market while simultaneously attracting prospects. And so it's not easy to do in all businesses, but some way to generate a list of customers or prospects and to test the interest of the market before you go investing time and money and everything. And what I think most people do is they get all excited about an idea. And they go and start designing a logo and they spend lots of time and money on a logo. And then maybe they put up their Facebook page and they do a lot of things that don't really generate customers or test whether the idea is market worthy or not versus going ahead and putting your idea out there with a minimal upfront investment of time and money and seeing if you can actually attract customers um, that way. Does that kind of make sense?
1: Yes. Yes. And let's say they were, they, they actually, they do that. They create um landing page or something to start collecting information. So what next? Cause maybe someone, you can say, Chuck, I've been doing that, but I still don't know what to do with my list. So this is one suggestion, you know, to go and start testing things. What is something else that they could do with that list?
2: So once you've got a list, whether you've, you've provided something free of value to them, like a video or something, if you have a significant size list, the next step is to actually present them with an offer. Actually try to sell something. And, it, and of course, it varies depending on what you're you're trying to sell. But to actually move people from free to paid. And um, you, it might be something really small. You might sell something for $10 for a video webinar or something just to see, because a lot of people will raise their hand and say, yes, I would definitely like that. In fact, if you ask all your friends, hey, if I started this new thing, would you be interested? You know, somebody has the most world-famous salsa and all their friends love the salsa, and then they say, hey, you know, if I put this salsa in a bottle, would you buy it? Everyone's gonna say yes, because they wanna be nice. But once you say, okay, will you give me $10 for the salsa? That really tests how sincere they really are. And if you put money up there and people actually give you money, then you really know that you're onto some sort of idea. And if no one buys, that's not a bad thing. That just means that particular headline or offer wasn't the right one and you need to keep testing new ones. So it's kind of like experimentation versus uh, failure and success. And once you start getting some success, then you can get energized and get excited and push even harder towards this thing that's getting a little bit of traction. It'll motivate you to keep going forward.
1: And what about for people to kind of market either themselves or their company besides the mailing list? What are some of the suggestions, you know, things that, you know, you have done in the
2: past? Of how to how to get your name out there, is yeah. what you're saying?
0: Yeah.
2: Well, yeah, there's so many different ways, and it has to do with either your income, the amount of money you have, or your comfort level. So for example, if you are shy and you wanna hide behind a computer, you could run paid advertising. Paid advertising is cost money out of your pocket and it's very difficult to learn, costs a lot of money because you end up wasting a lot of money while you figure it out. And then on the other side is where you don't spend any money but you go and talk to audiences. So kinda of like what I'm doing with your audience here, I'm not paying for this but I'm getting exposed to your audience um, in a way to attract different people. And this is like a mutually beneficial deal for you and for me, as well as for your audience. Hopefully they're gaining some sort of benefit out of it. So you can do things where you get yourself out in front of people. If you're a local person with local business, you can go speak to different groups around town. So it's, it's, Th- those are two different ends of the spectrum of ways that you can attract people. And there's all kinds of things in between those, but those are kind of two very different extremes to kind of illustrate a picture of what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah. And especially you mentioned, let's say someone doesn't have the money to invest on something. I have talked about this in a podcast before. One key word on, in everything you said is the ask, ask, People ask be in this case, I ask you to be on a podcast, but nothing prevents you to send message to other places and say, hey, would you like to have an interview? I've done that plenty of times in the past. And one of the things that I, one of my first, I got here in US in 1999. So in 2000, probably one or two, I did one of my first kind of ask things. not one of my first, but as far as bigger in US when was starting vhs instructionals and so forth here in the us there's only very very few and i saw the grappling magazine back then and i thought, man if these guys here can do it i can do it too i want to contact all the companies possible in the us and back then there were only three two of them didn't reply one did uh they flew me to oklahoma i shot seven videos in two and a half days the pay me wasn't great money, but again, comes back to credibility. Like you said, you know, having a book it helps. Be like, oh, wow, he has a book in in your area. And Jiu Jitsu helped me too because they start putting the ads on Grappling Magazine. I said, so like, oh, wow, the guy, they don't even know if I'm good or not. It's just I'm in a magazine. Right. You know? right. And say, so like, wow, he has a, a VHS now and then became a DVD or one. And that was like 2002, but all we're just asking. So putting your name out there. And not having the money, it's all about asking, like I said, you know, just speaking, going, uh, basically, situations that you're not being, per se, paid, you know, financially, but over time it will help you to, you know, just get your word out.
2: Yeah, you're you're making me, that's a neat story that you shared. It reminds me of Mario Sperry, uh, uh, old legend in MMA world and jiu-jitsu. And he's in one of my first books. And when I interviewed him, he told me, I said, you know, Mario, I I know you because I've been a fan of your VHS Mm -hmm. tapes from back in the day. And he goes, oh, man, I didn't make almost, I made basically nothing on those videos. But the guy that produced them says, you know, I can't really pay you, but I'll make you famous. And, you know, years later, now Mario Sperry and I have some, whatever, Friendship, and he's in my book, and all the other things that have come out of him for doing that same thing like you did, yeah. right? It's kind of neat.
1: Amazing. So, what is a one high performance habit that you have that has helped in your life daily? Jujitsu, all the areas.
2: I would I would recommend people get very very clear about what it is they want in life in a big picture, and then narrow it down on a daily thing. So, I think where people who aren't performing at high levels, it's because of a lack of clarity. And so often they're responding to other people's emergencies via email or phone calls or just waiting to see what will come rather than getting very clear and focused about what they want in life and then focusing their time and energy specifically on things that will bring them closer to that goal. And so what I do specifically is each night I sit down and I think through, okay, what is my big picture goal at the moment that I'm working on and what one or two, three things can I do tomorrow morning that will bring me closer to that goal? And I can tell you with, with absolute certainty that when I focus on that and when I adhere to that, that principle, um, I get things done. And when I get distracted and I start responding to emails before doing my one or two things in the morning, I start getting sucked into other people's emergencies. I get stressed out. But as long as I do my thing first, whether that's write something in my book or or write a new sales page or whatever it is that I need to do, if I do that first, then the rest of the day when I can handle other things and I feel good because I accomplished something and it brought me closer. And if I do that enough days in a row, I have a book done or I've earned some new clients or whatever. And it, and it really provides me a lot of momentum um, and it helps me from getting depressed because depression to me comes when I'm not accomplishing the things that I want to do.
1: I relate really well with what you said because uh, I guess both being high performance coaches relate everything you were saying. Starting the beginning of my day, having my routine that not checking my phone, not checking my emails because when you do, you're like, oh, I gotta reply to this person right now, oh, and I have my routine that has been growing over the years, getting longer. And as soon as I finish that, and the same thing, I ask myself, what is the mission of today? What what must I accomplish today? to progress my life and from there i focus again what is the main so i have a breakdown on my board you know what i'm going to do all day long and i have the key point ones that no matter what this year needs to finish today like today i'm doing the interview but at the same time i have to finish the final thoughts from the previous interview the, the all the analysis that i do after the turn after the the episode i go and i share some thoughts on my takeaway. So that today is my focus because I know that I'm traveling soon and I need to get a bunch of the episodes ready before. So, okay, this is the product. I got a bunch of stuff going. I have my tournament in two days, the Arizona open, but you know, just to spread out doing things here and there, but like just getting the priorities straight and yeah, man, it's working. So this is a great high performance habit that everyone should implement. Do you have any way, uh, and we're going to talk about this later too, but you have a page, you know, with your high performance stuff that if people would like to even possibly, man, i like to uh, do some coaching with you. Do you have any, any, any way people can contact you with you and talk about that?
2: Yeah, my home base is chuckryland.com, so it's chuck and then r-y-l-a-n-t.com, and from there you can find different things. If if you're new to business and or if you have a business and you're interested in marketing some of the stuff we talk about, there's a story I wrote on my webpage, it's chuckryland.com, if, if you put slash David, the first name David, you'll find this story I wrote about two different business owners, which is kind of a... Uh, composite of several of my clients, the clients that go well and the clients that don't. Um that's a good starting place for people that are business owners. And then um yeah that's 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 yeah the reason
1: the reason why I'm saying is because I know how those high performance habits from the coaching that I that I got it really impact my life. So for for all the listeners out there, if you want to look for to find some clarity or even more clarity. That would be a great route to go. Now, what is the best advice you've ever received?
2: Well, I would say from my father, and he and I had a strained relationship. I was kind of estranged from him for most of my life. So I I, I didn't get much from him, but I got one thing. And that was that um, he taught me to, to, to never do something out of obligation to live, basically live my own life without obligation. I didn't really understand what he meant, but I've I've since learned as I get older where we often are going down a path because we feel like we should do something. And whenever I hear that from clients when they say, well, I should do this, the question is, well, why do you feel you should do this? I mean, we have to do some things, but really we should be doing things that we want to do or that we're excited about or that we're passionate about versus all these should-dos. And and there's always some deep story with the shoulds. And um, the closer you're living your own path versus some other path that you feel obligated to do, the happier you are, the more successful you are, and the more happy your your family will be too. If you're doing things for your family that you feel you should do but you don't want to do, everybody knows it, and it's not good for anyone. Um, And that ends up leading towards criticism, the more that you put yourself out there as an entrepreneur, you'll find yourself being criticized to one degree or another. And and you start adjusting your life to where you're doing things that you feel you should do to avoid criticism. And it's always a mistake, because you cannot please all people. And I've learned, as I'm a little older now, that I'm okay with some people not liking a particular thing that I offer, a particular message. That's really okay. And um, because the people that do resonate and do connect with what I'm doing, they'll connect on a deeper level versus me trying to please everybody. You end up pleasing nobody.
1: And we, well, basically you already answered this here, which is what advice would you give to your younger self when you got involved you know, in marketing and so forth? And you mentioned about how to start a list you know, in business. So if you have to give another advice for your younger self, what that would be? Would
2: yes, be. Uh, I, I would uh, repeat as a business owner, learning marketing would be my number one focus. But separate from that, as a younger person, I was so determined to succeed, and I'll say that with quotes, that I didn't really enjoy the journey as much as I do today. I would I would slow down, I would go to some concerts and have some drinks with friends, instead of being just absolutely obsessed with a success, because there's plenty of time to make your mark on the world. There's plenty of time to make some money. And quite frankly, at the end of the game, your success in your career and your success financially doesn't really matter that much. That matters when you're young and you're trying to impress somebody. Um, but as you get older, no one cares. And, and the more time you spend with older people, you get the same advice over and over where they say, you know, enjoy those around you, enjoy life. And of course there's balance because you can take that to an extreme where you're just having fun all the time and not working towards your goals. But um, for me, that was I wasn't totally healthy. I was totally focused on, on work and stuff. And I'd have I stopped and smelled the smell roses, as they say.
1: I relate 100%. I had a one of my final thoughts that I mentioned about an analogy in being a regular train and a bullet train. And when I had this realization, I felt that most part of my life, very similar to you, I was a bullet train with, um, how can I say, what is the word? a conductor that was irresponsible in a way, not stopping in any of the s- spots. Or you <laughs> right. know, and, and if you do stop, like you go on a vacation or something, it's kind of like, all right, let's go back, back in the train, let's go, let's go. We got to go, we got to go, we got to keep going. And eventually I figured out that I was, I said, you know what? This is how I'm wired. Um, I'm a bullet train. However, I want to become a responsible conductor that I can go fast and I stop. And I do what I gotta do, and I smell the rose along the way, and then I have another project. Boom, and then I go fast. Mm-hmm. And now I'm getting older. I'm more getting to uh, the regular train mode. You know, I, do I have my, do I have my moments of bullet train? I do, but nowadays it's just so much more controlled. How uh, it's just a. The habit of, for, for the longest time, I can say that I struggle with the, the work balance. It was bad. It's just the same thing as you just, okay, success. And that means I don't got no time for that. And nowadays, it's, it's very different, very different how I was able to do. But I, I was just able to do investing a lot of myself in education and programs and coaching. Be like, okay, getting my priorities straight. So this is something that I, I relate completely. Then now I just feel that I can pick up the speed anytime I want. If I want to stay three days as a regular train, no problem. If there's a day that, I'm, you know, like this two days, it's going to go fast. And I'll tell my wife, okay, to this two days, you know, I'm going to have to go bed this time, wake up this time, and at least get prep for it. But uh, I am i don't feel like that crazy mode like I used to anymore. You know, so that's uh, – a. It's a relief, actually.
2: I, I love that analogy of the train because I relate to my poor family. If I did a vacation, there had to be some business function connected to it. So, it'd be like, oh, all right, we're going to go to Arizona for this seminar or a business meeting. And, oh, if there's a little time left, we'll go have fun. And uh, that's no fun for them, right? Yeah, so, I that know. train of, let's get off the train. Let's get right back on. and Yeah, man, I, I related to that story. <laughs> yeah.
1: So what book would you recommend and why? A book that made an impact on you in a specific time of your life?
2: Yeah, books are hard to recommend because they have all to do with where you are at in life Mm -hmm. and what you need at that moment. So it's it's hard to answer that question. But one book that I've reread recently was Robert Ringer's book. It's an old book. I almost always read older books rather than the new books. But his book was called Winning Through Intimidation. It might be hard to get an old copy with that title. Uh, He he rewrote it with a more politically correct title. But that book, it taught me to ignore, how do we say this? We have an idea way of how we'd like the world to be, and it's often not that way. And the sooner you can accept that the world is not the way you want it and work within the rules of the world as it is, basically have an accurate view of reality, the more successful we can become. And that's why I liked Robert Ringer's book, uh, Winning Through Intimidation. Great.
1: Now, what are you excited about? What's going on with your coaching, with the writing? What's going on?
2: Um, I have a few things that I'm excited about these moments uh, at at this moment. Um, About a year ago, I started a print newsletter that I send out once a month, and I really enjoy that writing process. Connecting to my my readers on that level, and I'm also started a doctorate in psychology, which is um, really tying in a lot of my work as a police officer trainer, my work as a coach, and my writing career. It's all kind of coming together with my, my goal for my doctorate thesis, which is about I'm trying to really go deep into why do people sometimes want to do one thing, but they end up doing another thing, and um, that that's stemming from questions that came in my own head as a trainer for police like why do officers do one thing they end up shooting somebody when maybe they didn't want to or these kind of things is what's happening in our in our brains and our physiology and so I'm really excited about that research that I'm doing in that doctorate program
1: interesting for all the listeners we're getting close to the end of the interview so make sure that you stick around for my final thoughts where again my takeaway from the interview research and share the content with you so we to talk about your website and final message they'd have for the listeners
2: um i i love connecting with new people so if you want to reach out to me on facebook that seems to be the easiest that's where i spend most of the time on the social media you can join my email list if you want to get my newsletter in fact for your audience if anyone has buys a copy of my book, sends me a picture or something, I'll subscribe them to the print newsletter for free. Um, But I love connecting with people like your audience and stuff. So I, I encourage anyone to seek me out.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Chuck, for your time. Really appreciate it. Had a lot of fun. And for all the listeners, stick around for my final thoughts. Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with Chuck Ryland. For those who are listening just to the final thoughts, Chuck is a brown belt in jiu-jitsu, a high-performance coach with law enforcement and finance background. He shared about the importance of focusing on what you're good at, your strengths, how every entrepreneur must learn marketing and sales procedures. And when I asked him about one high-performance habit that he practiced daily, he said, clarity. The habit that continuously helps him to maintain his high-performance living is clarity, to see the big picture, as he said. However, he focused on the small daily tasks necessary to achieve the big picture. And that inspired me to ask you, are you a high performer? Which is the title of the podcast. For those who don't know, I'm a certified high-performance coach under the High Performance Institute from Brandon Burchard. I tell you what, this program made a significant impact on my personal and professional life, and I hope this short audio about high performance can inspire, impact, and or improve your life in some way. I highly suggest you to check out Brandon Bouchard's book, High Performance Habits, How Extraordinary People Become That Way. This book came after my certification, and it's an excellent example of continued education for me. Even though I go to the five-day recertification with other 200 coaches, I always learn. You can learn more about Brandon Bouchard at www.Brandon.com. In the book, he mentions that if you want to reach higher levels of performance in anything you do, you must consistently, and that is a key word, consistently, adopt six habits that he called HP6. And the first one is seek clarity, which is Chuck's number one habit. So now I'm going to expand on the idea of seeking clarity in everything you do. First of all, what does high performance mean? Here's what he said in the book, quote, succeeding beyond standard norms consistently over the long terms, which requires habits that protect your well-being, maintain positive relationships and ensure that you serve others as you climb, unquote. He also mentioned that high performance living is an ongoing feeling of engagement. You love what you do. Of course, there are parts that we don't like to do in business, but it's part of it. But you're enjoying the journey, learning from the mistakes, and your confidence keeps growing because you have a conviction that you are on the right path and you are consistently living from your best self. High performance is the result of heightened and sustained levels of six habits, clarity, energy, necessity, courage, productivity, And influence, and you experience these habits by mastering your productivity, persuasion, psychology, physiology, presence, and purpose. In the first chapter, he talks about the lab, which means the research the High Performance Institute invested time on. Quote Once we identify the HP6, we work to conduct additional literature reviews and validity tests. We created the High Performance Indicator, HPI, based on the six habits as well as other proven success measures. We tested the HPI pilot with over 30,000 people from 195 countries and quantitatively proved its validity, reliability, and usefulness. We found that not only the six habits combined to correlate with high performance, but each habit correlates with high performance on its own. And together, they correlate with other important life outcomes, such as general happiness, better health, and positive relationships, unquote. These habits can help you to succeed or succeed even more, whether you're an entrepreneur, athlete, employee, or stay-at-home parent. As I mentioned to you, we were going to focus on the number one, seek clarity. He said that this chapter is about finding clarity in your life how you think about tomorrow, and what to do to stay connected with what matters today. I'm going to share with you three questions from the clarity session of the 12-week program of High Performance Coaching for you to reflect. Number one, what do you feel most certain and clear about in your life right now? Let me repeat the question. What do you feel most certain and clear about in your life right now? What do you know to be true about yourself or about your life right now? Personally, I feel the most certain that I live in congruence with my values, which leads to the question number two. What do you value the most in your life right now? What is the most important to you? What do you value? My number one value is freedom of choice. Money is not my thing. Freedom is. As my family says, Gustavo does whatever Gustavo feels like it. Nelson Mandela has a great quote. Money won't create success. The freedom to make it, it will. See, that is when my ADD comes in handy. I'm always on Gustavo's little planet, which activates my creativity all the time. A few years ago, I turned to my wife, Kristen, and said, you know what? I've been thinking about doing this and that. I don't even remember what idea I had. She said, so you're going to do it? I said, no, 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 no. I'm just thinking about it. And she said, when was the last time you told me that you're thinking about doing something and you didn't do it? And I said, that's a good point. I don't know. When I have a good idea, I reflect on it. If it sounds good and I want to do it, I start it ASAP. And you should do the same. One of the critical habits of high performers is courage. Don't let nonsense fears that you have no control to prevent you from your high-performance living, being the best version of yourself, and achieving the success you desire, not the success others expect from you. Now, your definition of success must be clear to you. Otherwise, you might end up chasing happiness. The third and final question is, do you feel clear about who you are and what is important in your life? Again... Do you feel clear about who you are and what is important in your life? Do you feel that you are living in alignment and congruent with the best of who you are? If you think about last week, do you feel that you were your best self at work or home? When I think about my last week, I'm confident I did the best I could with what I knew. I utilize a lot of tools, fundamentals, and techniques from this program daily, and I'm going to share a tool called Intentional Cues, which is part of the clarity chart. I want you to think of three words that will now define the best of who you are, and that will be used to guide your personal life, including your thoughts and actions. Imagine that when you die, You'd like people to say, he or she was this, this, and this. What would that be? Here's the thing. Even if you're not there yet, put the words that you want. For example, my three words are authentic, helpful, and present. Due to my ADD, I struggle with focus. However, I've been practicing mindfulness for quite some time and has been helping me a lot. Currently, in 2019, I feel a lot more present and mindful than in 2016 when I got involved with high-performance coaching. And I still have a lot of room to grow, though. With that said, when you decide your three words, I want you to do this. If you can't right now, right at this moment... Pause if you have to after the explanation. Go to your alarm setup on your phone and schedule whatever time you want for a reminder. Let's say 3 p.m. daily. For those who are not aware, you can edit the alarm and type whatever you want. Type the three words and save it. So pause it and do it right now. I will wait. Well, hopefully you did pause and add the alarm. For example, sometimes when I'm driving on a freeway, I'm in the mental autopilot mode, one of those days that you don't even know how you got home. Have you ever had one of those days? (laughs) Then my alarm pops up. I look at it. I breathe. And I ask three questions. Have I been authentic to my desires? Since authentic is one of my words. I answer to myself, yes. Have I been helpful to others? Yes. Are you present right now? Uh, no. (laughs) That is my intentional cue to bring me back to focus. I have six or seven alarms daily with different words, quotes, questions, or reminders, and you can do the same to help you to bring back to focus. I love it when I'm present and this specific alarm pops up. I go, yes, I'm present. What about you? Are you interested in giving a shot and using the intentional cues tool? To wrap up, if you have been able to maintain your high-performance living, living from your best self daily, feeling engaged, fulfilled, and helping others, keep it up. You are a high-performer, as I said, whether you are an entrepreneur, athlete, employee, or stay-at-home parent. These habits help you to succeed or succeed even more if practiced daily. And if you haven't been able to maintain your high-performance living, Not living from your best self daily, not feeling engaged or fulfilled or not helping others. It's time for a brutally honest self-analysis to give you clarity on your next steps towards the high-performance living. The three words from the intentional cue is a great start. Put a sticky note on your bathroom or fridge. However, every time you look at it, stop, breathe, and reflect in each one. It may take you 5 seconds, 10, or 20. It's up to you. The point is to ingrain in your head who you believe you are and who you are not. If you have this type of clarity, you are one step closer to becoming a high performer. Oh,